Welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, in this passage, the Apostle Paul is making a pretty simple point. Clear, straightforward, upfront. Uh, he once again here uses his favorite metaphor of the body, Christ's body, actually, to help us understand the nature of the church. Over and over again, Paul uses this metaphor of the body to try to help people understand what is the church, how does it work together, how is it connected, how are the different parts of a church interconnected and related to each other. And he uses this metaphor of the body to drive home this point over and over again. In verse 5 of what we just read, he says, In Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. And then if you'll permit me a little MIV, Mike's International Version, for just a moment, and I can kind of stretch this out and sort of expand what I think he's saying here. Basically, what he's saying is whatever your gift is, use it to breathe life into one another and into the world. If it is prophecy, then prophesy. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouragement, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is leadership, lead diligently. And if it is mercy, then show it cheerfully. So Paul is being straightforward, and he's being really simple. The church is a body, and its various parts, its people, are interconnected and interdependent. Different people, but one body. And each member of the body, he makes this profound statement, each member of the body belongs to all the others. Each member has a different function, just like hands, feet, eyes, ears, legs, and toes fulfill different functions within a human body, but they are all part of one body. Each part of the body belongs to the others. Each part of the body needs the others. Each part of the body plays a role in the healthy functioning of the body, and each part is as important as any other part. This is what Paul is trying to drive home to those of us who are part of the church. Each part belongs to the others. Each part needs the others. Each part plays a role in the healthy functioning of the body. And each part is as important as any other part. So our Eastertide series has been called Breathe Life. And for several weeks now, we've been talking about the practices and the disciplines that we engage in together to cooperate with God's Spirit so we, as one local church, become a different kind of society in this world, a new kind of community, if you will, a community governed by the presence of Jesus and by his ethics and teachings and wisdom. God's new society, we might say, living within the world's society and demonstrating to the world what life and relationships can actually be like under God and for God. This is the calling of the church in the world. This is why we exist. This is why we gather. This is why we invite people to engage in the life of this local community. Because the role of a church in the world is to be God's new society within the world's society and demonstrate to the world what it can become if it lives in surrender to Jesus. And today we're emphasizing the practice of using the gifts God has entrusted to each one of us to breathe life into each other and to breathe life 
into this world. Every follower of Jesus, according to the Bible, has been equipped by him with various spiritual gifts to be used to honor God, to build up the church, and to bless the world. And a local church is functioning the way it was intended to function when each Christ follower is discovering their gifts and using those gifts within the body or maybe beyond the body. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4 that Christ himself gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for this purpose. And here's the purpose, to equip people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a mouthful. But the point of it is, is that our gifts that God has given to each of us, our gifts collaborate together to form us as a new community of God's people and grow us toward unity and maturity in Christ. And what really stokes me about this passage in Romans 12 and about what Paul says in Ephesians is the way every one of us is invited to this party. No one's left out. Everyone is invited to exercise their gifts for the benefit of the body and for the blessing of the world. Everyone's invited. No one is left out. And here's the other thing. It's got a little bit of an edge to it. Everyone, according to the Bible, is expected to show up to this party. Each of us who follow Christ have spiritual gifts. And these gifts have been entrusted to us by God himself to breathe life into each other, and to breathe life into the world. Every part matters. Every person matters. No spectators. No sitting back and watching everyone else shoulder the load. Each of us, part of this body, and we need, we need each other's gifts to become what God intends. So when you think about it, the Apostle Paul was a rather crucial figure in the birth of the church and in the history of Christianity. When we look back and we think about how all this got started, maybe second only to Jesus in terms of importance, is the Apostle Paul. Starting of the church, missionary to various parts of the world, writer of so much of the New Testament. And yet Paul makes this extraordinary comment in verse 3, Romans 12 and verse 3, and you can see this up on the screen. I'm going to let this sit there for a while because this really has a shaping impact on how we think about ourselves, how we think about any one of us, and how we think about our spiritual gifts. He writes, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. This was Paul's attitude toward leadership in the church, and it was his attitude about any one person's importance in the larger body. Paul is chopping down the pedestal, we might say, upon which someone might be standing and thinking they're more important to the church than they actually are. And what he's driving at, what he's trying to remind this local church of, is that everyone is important, everyone has a role, everyone has gifts that the rest of the church needs. Now that all sounds interesting, but let's take it to the level of this local church. What Paul is saying in this passage is that everyone here is important, who calls or kills their church. Everyone has a role. Everyone has gifts. And the rest of us need the gifts you have in order for us to become who God calls us to become. Now, here's the thing. 
And this is going to be a little in your face. I don't imagine very many of us actually believe a word of this. Let me say it a little stronger. Very few of us actually think our presence, our gifts, our service make much difference in the church or in the world. Very few of us believe we have a vital and crucial role to play within this body or beyond it. Few of us believe that we have gifts that the rest of the church needs and that the world needs. I just know how people think on this. When we talk about this and you start getting into what the Bible is trying to point at, it's really easy to just take one step to the left so it passes right by us, or one step to the right so we we dodge it because it's kind of speaking directly to us. And what it's saying is, is that you have gifts and those gifts are to be used to build the rest of us up and to bless the world. And yet it's hard for some of us to believe this, even though the Bible is abundantly clear on this. There's a God-ordained mutuality in the church. We've talked about this the last several weeks. There's a togetherness in a local church, kind of an interwoven tapestry. Paul puts it this way, each part belongs to the other parts. There's a connectedness. There's an interwovenness. There's a, a connectedness beyond, oh, we happen to go there together. There's some kind of mystical and spiritual bonding that happens in a local congregation when people come together under Jesus. The priesthood of all believers, as it is sometimes called. We pastor each other, one of the phrases we've been using around here. We pastor each other by using our God-given gifts to breathe life into each other and into the world. And this mutuality, this togetherness, this oneness, this tapestry is sustained and upheld by a relentless commitment to humility. It's just what Paul says in verse 3. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. So let me say it this way. Oak Hills does not rest on the shoulders of one person or one group. It does not rest on the shoulders of the paid staff. It does not rest on the shoulders of the elder board. It does not rest on my shoulders as one of the pastors. We are a body. No one person in this body can do everything. And no one person in this body matters more than the next. Each part, each person matters. And each part and each person has God-given gifts the rest of us need and the world needs. There are countless stories throughout history, past history and recent history, of how churches run off the tracks when a pastor or leader or a group within the church elevate themselves above the rest of the body and grab control and sort of force the church down a certain path. This is all done most of the time in the name of truth-telling or truth-defending, but there's just zero humility in these religious power struggles. And if you've paid attention to what's happening in the American church these days, you know that these kinds of things are going on right now. There are countless stories of churches splitting wide open because this or that group wants the church to be this or that way 
or wants the church to emphasize this or that priority. And since it's not this or that way, or since it doesn't emphasize this or that priority, this or that group leaves and goes and starts their own thing rather than staying and working it out, fleshing it out together, discerning it together as an interconnected body. This kind of division into various camps has been occurring since the dawn of the church, and it's been surging at a rapid rate for the last six years for a variety of reasons. Arrogance, ego, pride, self-importance, the need to be needed, the need to win, the need to be on the cutting edge, the need to get our way. These are the things that can infect pastors and leaders and churches, and these are the things that send churches soaring off the rails. So we come back to this relentless humility, just what Paul says. Relentless humility keeps us grounded in the reality of Jesus who made himself, Paul tells us in Philippians, nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death on a cross. So my hope today is to inspire you to use your God-given gifts within our body and beyond our body. That's my hope. That's the purpose of these few minutes in this message. My hope is to inspire you to use your God-given gifts in the body and beyond the body to bring forth his kingdom and breathe life into our church and into the world. You have gifts. God has given you these gifts. You are an important part of this local body. Your gifts, when used, will help shape the rest of us into the new community Jesus desires. Your gifts can breathe life into this world and into our church. I also, throughout our time, hope to update you on some of the practical details of our church's life, where we are with some of the nuts and bolts things that are part of being a local church. So let me take a step back. We had planned on having a mid-year Friday night gathering in the month of May. <laughs> That's what they think of all this. But to, to give an update on our finances, we wanted to get together just to kind of give you an update. Here's where we are with our finances. Here's where we are with the new playground. Here's where we are with some staffing needs. But the calendar filled up for a variety of reasons. So instead of doing that on a separate night, I'm going to weave some of this into... Uh, this talk today. At the end of our Romans 12 passage, Paul lists a number of spiritual gifts, gifts, and these lists in the Bible are never all-inclusive. You can flip over to 1 Corinthians 12 and find a list of separate, different spiritual gifts. So they're never intended to be all-inclusive. Rather, they are representative of the kinds of gifts that God gives. But to kind of frame our talk today on spiritual gifts, I'm going to share a few stories where the particular gifts mentioned in this Romans 12 passage are being used by people in our church. And the first one I want to talk about is leadership. Paul says, if your gift is to lead, then lead diligently. This past Wednesday, a few of us from staff met with someone from our church named Brian Dowd, and we gathered together down in a challenging neighborhood in Sacramento. Brian and a friend of his some time ago felt compelled by God to take action to meet the needs of incoming 
refugees to the Sacramento area. Something about that grabbed their attention. Something about that uh, spoke to them, and they felt like they needed to do something about it in order to help these refugees get settled and off to a good start during the first six months after they arrive in our country. So Brian and his friend established a nonprofit. It's called NorCal Refuge, and you can see the name of it, and you can see the website for it up on the screen. It's something you might want to check out uh, later on just to kind of get a sense of what it's about. But let me read to you from the website to give you an idea of what this nonprofit is all about. Fleeing the violence of the Taliban, more than 10,000 Afghan refugees are being resettled in Sacramento and the Bay Area. Just as Afghans courageously stood by American soldiers in battle, we want to welcome and come alongside Afghan families to bring good news and stability during their first six months. So Wednesday afternoon, we were sitting on the floor of a one-bedroom apartment that housed, I believe, a family of around eight Afghan refugees. And we sat on the floor, and we heard their story as it was translated for us through an interpreter. I want you just to imagine that you're told you've got three days to pack one bag and move to a country you have never seen and to a city you have never heard of and into a culture you know absolutely nothing about. I would say it's kind of overwhelming. And sitting there on Wednesday, it just was overwhelming to be in this room, to be sitting on the floor, to be hearing these incredible stories from this family whose life has completely been upended uh, and having to move here. It's a remarkable afternoon listening to their story. We went to another apartment about an hour or so later and heard another story. It was remarkable to sit and to hear these stories. And I got to tell you, it was inspiring to me to see one of our own people leading this effort out of a God-prompted burden, sacrificing his time, his energy, using his gifts to breathe life into the world, captivating and inspiring. We've already heard here at Oak Hills about the Afghan refugees who are coming to Sacramento are already here. We have groups of people that are already meeting and helping to teach English to some of the uh, Afghan women down at another church. Some from our church are participating in that. There are going to be plenty of opportunities that we have to serve and help and offer our resources as, this, uh, as the refugees continue to come. You've also heard about some of the things happening in Ukraine and some of the refugees that are coming to this area and some of the people in our own church who are using their gifts and using their resources to meet these refugees, invite them into their homes and care for them. So there's many things that you're going to be hearing about that we can do. But one thing that is immediate and practical that I want to sort of set before us today as we think about this Afghan refugee crisis, a way that we as a church can get involved in this right now. We were sitting in this apartment on Wednesday afternoon, and I doubt you remember this, but it was rather warm on Wednesday afternoon. We were sitting this in, in this apartment, one bedroom, all 10 or 11 of us, 12 of us, and they had one single fan sitting on the floor. Now, I found out from Dave Holcomb, who's well-schooled in these sort of cross-cultural things, when we walked in, this was a little bit interesting, we walked in and he's kind of whispering to me, Mike, get over in that corner and sit down right away. And I'm going, what are you talking about? He goes, you're the oldest one here. They're not going to sit until you sit down. 
So I go over in the corner and sit down. And I'm sitting there going, what makes you think I'm the oldest here? And he's just kind of going, not now. Go sit down. <laughs> so I sat in this corner, and this fan was aimed right at me pretty much. I guess because I'm the oldest and have the most likely chance of passing out. But So this fan is aimed right at me. But it occurred to me as I'm sitting there, this is what they have. Just dropped into this situation. No air conditioning. Uh, in many of these apartments, just this single fan. So we were kind of debriefing our day with one of the leaders down there who himself is a fascinating guy, an Iranian refugee from some years ago who had been imprisoned because of his faith in Christ, escaped Iran, ended up in Turkey, finally moved here, and now he's helping Brian and NorCal Refuge help these Afghan refugees get settled. So we were debriefing with him, and he was talking about how so many of these folks are living in an apartment. They don't have any air conditioning. They don't have any fan. So this idea of what could Oak Hills do to help this community have cooler temperatures in these hot Sacramento summers. So, Sonora, you can put that fan announcement up. So here's what we're going to do. This is just immediate on the ground right now. We're going to have what we're calling a fan drive for NorCal Refuge, And as I said, these, many of these folks who are living down in these places don't have air conditioning. So we would like to send 50 standing, oscillating fans to these apartments and to these homes by June 5th. So what I'm asking you to do is if this grabs you in any way, shape, or form, run out to Target, Walmart, wherever, and get a standing, oscillating fan, bring it to the church on Sunday if you want, or bring it to the church during the week into the church office. And we want to get 50 of these by June 5th and then get them down there and deliver them to these families so they can have a little bit cooler place where they're living. So leadership. Another area where I'm seeing leadership happen that is just extraordinary, encouraging, uplifting to me personally is in our elder board. Some of you may not realize this, but our elder board is a group of volunteers who are chosen to be on the elder board to give spiritual leadership and direction to our church. And elders serve a two-year term, and they can serve three two-year terms in a row. Leading up to this most recent uh, start of this new year, it, about the last year or so, I was aware of how different church was going to be uh, as COVID was starting to subside and just thinking about the next five or six years, how different Oak Hills is going to be over that time. So this elder board was coming in and they were going to be facing something that few leadership teams have faced uh, in the past 20 or so years here at Oak Hills. And they have done an amazing job in just five months. Uh, pouring themselves out, investing their time, investing their energy, investing their passion. Our elder board consists of Scott Schaefer. You'll know some of these, not all of them. Sharon Richards, Emily Fife, Ben Harrison, and Elaine Bratton. And they've been leading so well. They've been shouldering so many things. They've been carrying the church in this unfamiliar season. And one of the areas that they're leading that is most encouraging is they're leading in prayer. A good portion of our meetings are spent praying. We meet twice a month, and a good portion is spent praying for Oak Hills and where we're heading. You may have noticed if you walk in here before the 9 o'clock service, there's a prayer time happening up front every week now, and that is coming out of 
a prompting that the elder board has had that we need to have a prayer time before our service starts. That's open to anybody. So if you're interested in that, you certainly can join that. But I just want to mention that there's excellent leadership happening uh, and the use of those gifts by our elder board. Let's go on to another gift that's listed here. Paul talks about encouragement. He says, if your gift is to encourage, then give encouragement. About 100 years ago, I was a youth pastor back in Wisconsin. And I can remember one of the big burdens parents felt back in those days. And their big burden was, how do I get my teenager to attend church because they don't want to come? And I've been thinking about that, how I used to talk to parents about that, and then compare that to what teenagers and children and parents and families are dealing with today. Getting teenagers to attend church is nothing compared to the challenges that children and teenagers and families are facing today. The issues today are infinitely more complex and difficult. So, earlier in the service, we had a sending of our children's our children out to their classes. Just something to say, just so you feel this, that in those classrooms, every week that we bless the children to leave, in those classrooms are volunteers, people like you, who realize it matters to use their gifts to build up these children, to serve them. And so it's just a, something that you know happens every single week. And it's an example of people, adults, coming along children to encourage them in their life of faith. Every Sunday we have our, Sunday night, we have our youth ministry, middle school and high school. And there are a group of youth ministry leaders, youth ministry volunteers. Uh, <laughs> nice. Um, they care for our youth. They invest in young people. They encourage them in the unbelievable complexities that they are facing in this world. And they are people like you, with lives like you, with jobs like you. And they give their time and they give their energy to encourage and walk alongside our youth. Let's talk about the gift of serving. Paul says, if your gift is serving, then serve. I golfed with a group of pastors earlier this week. And during the round, one of those pastors, who's very involved with Heart, the ministry to the homeless in our community, he walked up to me and he thanked me for how much Oak Hills has stepped up to serve the homeless in our town. And all I could think was, that's got nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. It has to do with so many of you who sacrifice time, energy, convenience, and care for those in our community who are homeless. Again, serving, giving your life away, pouring yourself out, using your gifts. Back in, at the end of 2021, as we keep thinking about this idea of serving, you remember the year-end offering was for the playground out here, to, to renovate the playground, to redo it. And we've been working on that. Sonora, you can put the picture up. This is a rendition of what it's eventually going to look like. If you think of walking out one of the children's classrooms, on the left side will be sort of for the little ones uh, to climb around on. I don't exactly know what those things are, little jeeps and whatever to climb around on, tables to sit at. You can kind of see in the middle there, there's sort of an activity wall that will separate the little ones from the other side, which is where most of the kids are going to be, which is an actual 
kind of playground that you would see if you drove by one of the parks uh, in town. So this is, uh, we've been working on different contractors. We had two groups that have been presenting all this stuff and trying to wade through it and figure out which one would be the best given the budget that we have. But here's the thing, this is what I want you to know, that this process of sifting through which contractor, figuring out when to meet with them, making the time to meet with them, these are people, one of them in particular, who's got a job like you do, has a life like you do, but they're leading the process of finding a playground contractor. They're serving the rest of us by giving their time and their energy to do this. There's out there near the playground, there's also, uh, we also want to put in a sidewalk so when you're walking down Blue Ravine, you can get onto our property without having to walk up the driveway. So during the same time, there's going to be a sidewalk put in right alongside the playground. And again, people thinking about that sidewalk, people helping us get connected with the city uh, are people with jobs like you and lives like you. And they're putting their time and their energy in to use their gifts to serve the rest of us in this way. And it's just inspiring to see this and to see people serving the rest of us by using their gifts. Let's talk about giving as a gift. Paul says, if your gift is giving, then give generously. It might seem strange to some of you to think about giving as a spiritual gift, but in the Bible, giving is an act of obedience, it's a spiritual discipline, and it is a spiritual gift. And there are many ways to use the gift of giving, but one is by giving tithes and offerings to the church and to other ministries that are engaged in kingdom work in the world. Our annual budget as a church is funded by the tithes and offerings of the people in our church. Now, I've said this about 50 times in the last 25 years, and every time I say it, someone will come up to me and go, huh, I didn't know that. I thought there was a mothership somewhere that was funneling us money. Well, you're looking at the mothership. We're the mothership. I know that's news to some, but it's good just to say that, that the budget of our church is funded by the people of our church, sacrificially giving. And we don't apologize for saying that faithfulness to Jesus and discipleship to Jesus extends into our checkbook. The Bible calls money a rival God. And one of the ways for us to resist this rival God is to give it away. Give it away to the church. Give it away to other things in the world that are doing the work of God's kingdom. We have an expectation that our staff and that our volunteer leaders will sacrificially give their money to support the work of the church. Some people give 10% of their annual income, a tithe as it's called. Some people give more than 10% and some give less. But in an affluent culture like ours, giving is an important spiritual practice. And we bless each other by sharing our resources. Some people wonder, well, how's all the money handled at Oak Hills? How does that work? Is that just Mike and Melinda sitting somewhere and throwing darts at a dartboard? Let's buy this. Let's spend money on that. How's that all work? Who decides all that? One of our key leadership teams is called the Administrative Council. And the Administrative Council is comprised of people like you from the church who serve on this team and ultimately who report to the Elder Board. They meet once a month. They think through the budget, they talk about the finances, they pay attention to future expenditures that we, we may need, they pay attention to financial issues that are on the horizon. Regular people, they've got jobs, they've got kids, they've got lives, they've got stress, 
And I want to name them as well. Jerry Versaput, Jan Myra, Jason Dyer, and Peter Fife, giving their time, using their gifts to serve in this way. So this is a good time to give you a little bit of an update mid-year of where we are on our finances. So first slide up, you see that our income year to date, that's all income, rental income, offerings, and so on. Compared to our expenses year to date, we're about $50,000 ahead. A lot of that is because of the COVID testing that we had that generated money from the county. We're also using our facility, uh, renting it to various nonprofits who are using it for uh, theater purposes, and they pay us uh, rent in order to do that. So our overall income is ahead of our overall expenses by about $50,000. The, the next thing on that slide is that our general fund offering, this is where what we do on uh, here on a Sunday or what people give during the week through the app or whatever, you can see that we're about 39000 behind what we had planned on receiving to this date. And I wanted to show you this just simply to say a couple things. One, our giving is strong. Our, our financial position is very healthy these days. You can see on that uh, second uh, set of information, the general fund offering, this is just an encouragement for those of you who maybe have not yet gotten into the regular practice of giving to remind you that this is part of our life together. This is part of the way that we breathe life into each other is by sharing our resources. And I would encourage you to practice the uh, practice giving and to start giving to support the ministry of what we're doing here. You go to the second slide, and you can see that our mortgage balance today is 417884 Just to put context to this, if this were 2014, there'd be a 2, a comma, then a 417, then an 884. So about $2 million has evaporated since 2014. And I know we've talked about this before, but it's such compelling news. Again, it's a prime example of sharing our resources, being sacrificial, giving our gifts in order to reduce our debt. Because when we reduce our debt, the kind of freedom we have to do ministry, to be about the kingdom, to get involved in so many things that are on the front line of what God is doing in the world, to get behind so many people who have visions and ideas about how to impact this world. And not having debt, I can't even begin to articulate how that frees up space and time and resources. I will tell you that the day is going to come. It's not here yet, but the day will come when that 417 gets small enough. And I think we're going to want to take a run at it to just get rid of it altogether. So just to give you an idea, we pay down about a hundred thousand a year on that number. So you can expect that by the end of December, we're going to be in the 380, 370, and we're going to reach a point pretty quickly here uh, where we're going to look at it and go, you know what, if we go one more year and we have a year-end offering and a mid-year offering and another year-end offering, we're going to knock this out. I just want you to get the, this vision and feel this for a second. Imagine that in two years or three years, at the most four years, that number is going to be gone. The day is coming when we're going to put a slide up that says mortgage balance and then it's going to say zero. And that just says something about you, about your faithfulness, about people sacrificially giving to support what's going on. It's a real encouragement. One other gift that's mentioned in this list by Paul is the gift of mercy. 
and we've talked about this the last several weeks, but our new care pastor is Zach Woodard, and Zach is continuing to build teams to minister to the various needs of people in our church and in our community. This idea of of mercy, this idea of having compassion and mercy for those who are hurting. And one of the things we all know is that the hurting population is on the rise. So Zach is building teams that can serve people and extend mercy in a wide variety of ways. And if you think of yourself as someone with the gift of mercy, someone who likes to help those who are hurting, I would urge you to contact Zach. You can call the office or you can just send an email to Zach and he will get you connected in. Well, maybe one way to envision the purpose for the gifts that God has entrusted to us, to think about what they're ultimately for, what it is that they ultimately accomplish. There's many things we could say about that. But one is, is that the using of our gifts offers people hope by pointing them to God. We lead, we serve, we encourage, we give, we show mercy, we exercise all the other gifts to instill hope in people by pointing them to God. So I want to bring us back to this apartment on Wednesday afternoon with this family of eight. They had five children, I believe. Two were in their 20s. They had two teenagers, and they had one girl who was about three years old. And I couldn't help thinking about the future of these five children. What was to become of them in this new country? What their lives would actually entail? How God might reach them? How God might work in and through them? How God might use them in ways we can't even fathom? What story will they tell 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 35, 40 years from now? What story will they tell about what it was like to arrive in this strange country and who met them, who cared for them, who showed them who God was. It's a rather profound thing to think about. And as I was considering this, I kept coming back to the beauty and the power of God's people, his church, poured out in sacrifice and in service to one another and to this hurting world and what Jesus can do with that kind of offering how he can change lives through people who are willing to use their gifts for his purposes. You know this, and I do as well. Engagement in the life of a church is really hard work. It takes intentionality. It takes fortitude. It takes perseverance to be engaged in the life of a local church. It's much, much easier to be engaged in life And then to dabble in the life of the church when there's time, when it's convenient, when we're able to. It's hard work to be engaged in the life of a local church. It takes time. There's many challenges along the way. There's many conflicts along the way. Church never goes exactly the way we want it to. But the beauty of the church is not in her perfection. The beauty of the church is in the ways God works through her humble imperfection, to change people and to change the world. Let's pray together. And as we simply reflect on these things, I want to just encourage you to realize that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then he has equipped you 
He has given you gifts, spiritual gifts. He has given you unique abilities and gifts to breathe life into the rest of us and to breathe life into this hurting world. Your life on this planet has meaning and significance as it is poured out for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom. The hard work you're doing to care for others, to minister to their needs, to represent Jesus in your workplace, to pour yourself out for refugees, to inconvenience yourself to love a neighbor. The work you're doing to pray for the people who live in the apartment where you live and to intentionally engage them as a neighbor who loves them. That's hard work and it matters. The prayers and the ideas and the visions you have of being in your home and in your neighborhood and how God might want to use you there. How he might want to bring forth his kingdom in your neighborhood through you and through your prayers. That's important work. The way in which God has called you perhaps at this time to Tend to your children and care for them and raise them and demonstrate to them who you are. That's important work that requires perseverance and gifts and patience. Our lives do not belong to us as followers of Jesus. So, Father, as we continue to want to be a church that is pouring itself out for one another and for the world, We pray that you will empower our work, that you will strengthen our relationships, that again, that in this world where the fixation is so often on me and I, that you will give us an eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to be we, to be a community, to be a people, a different kind of society driven by a different set of ethics a life poured out in service to others. And I think of so many people who are doing that right now at Oak Hills and beyond Oak Hills. And I pray that you would renew them, refresh their vision, sharpen their gifts, and bring fruit from their efforts. We pray these things in Jesus' name.